Welcome to this episode of The Midwife's Cauldron. Yes, it is finally here. It has taken me a very long time to edit, and I have several excuses. I'm hoping you won't hear all of the reasons why it's taken me so long to edit, but I have left in the peacocks, the guinea fowl, the cicadas. The bloopers are at the beginning, throughout, and also at the end. And this is meant to be the episode about navigating the system. Well, I can tell you, I've been navigating the editing system. So, dear listener, I have to tell you, we had to split this into two parts. I could have squeezed it all into one, but the bloopers were too good to leave out. Plus, we keep talking about them all the way through, so it wouldn't make sense if I didn't put it in the beginning. I hope you enjoy this episode as much as we did making it. Don't worry, the second part will be out next week. It's already finished. So, dear listener, enjoy this episode, and the next one will be out very soon. I'm Katie James, and this is the Midwives Cauldron Podcast. Each episode, I'm joined by my incredible co-host, Dr. Rachel Reed. Listen in as we hubble, bubble, toil and trouble our way through aspects of womanhood, midwifery, birth and lactation. So go on, subscribe now, and hear us on your favorite podcast host. I'm back. Can you hear me? Can you hear me now? <laughs> Loud and clear. Great, man. <laughs> oh, I've lost my notes. Get comfortable. Shit balls. I'm far out. I need a studio. Can some wonderful benefactor pay for a studio for us? We could do a, um, one of those. What are those bloody? Can what are those things, man? That people do when they have not the GoFundMe. The I want to say the Patreon. Paraben accounts, but that's <laughs> paraben account. What for? Like burning logs? Do... <laughs> Let's do a Patreon account for. That's paraffin. Paraffin. Oh yeah, what's paraben? A oh, parabens. Bloody hell, parabens in plastics. I don't know. No, um, in the hair shampoos and all that. Oh, is jazz. It? Yeah, it's because on every product you're reading, it's probably saying contains no parabens. <laughs> Don't want an, I don't want a paraben account then. <laughs> yeah, we'll have a GoFundMe so we can actually have a producer. That's what we need. We don't even need a studio. We just need a producer who can just let us sit in a comfortable chair like Nana's and then go, right, here's the headphones. <laughs> here's your soundproofing and here's your notes and just speak. Let's get one. We'll do, we'll do a GoFundMe to get a handler. A handler can I have a rider that has like... What did you call them? A producer actually gave him a proper name what's a handler isn't that for dogs oh that's what i need (laughs) (laughs) no comment (laughs) okay good morning rachel welcome to the podcast today is this one sorry what is this we're doing oh for god's sake (laughs) your notes (laughs) is this this is the one about (laughs) great here we go. This is the one about navigating the system, isn't it? Yes, that's what we're recording today. <laughs> this, is, this is the one because we get... So th- this is because... No, look away and talk. <laughs> this is the one. <laughs> it's not stage. It's podcast. Look at the microphone. I need, I need the... Um, you need, need like... Those microphone. All right. Or we need some kind of strap that keeps your head on the microphone. We'll put that on the Patreon. What is it? 
the parabens site. <laughs> We're making a list. <laughs> <laughs> Wrapping it up tight. What is the song for Santa Claus? <gasps> I'm making a list. I'm doing a dinner. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting hysterical now. (laughs) (laughs) This is self care. (laughs) I was just thinking. We could release a Christmas album <laughs> with all the songs <laughs> from the Midwife Cauldron. <laughs> oh, proceeds go to the Barbara Cat. Proceeds. <laughs> Not a charity, just to us. Proceeds. In our patheticness that we have no studio. <laughs> Oh, my belly aches. Oh, <laughs> right. Self care oh, over. Keep my head and... next to the microphone. Yep. Oh, right. <sighs> oh, that was good. <laughs> so, what we're looking at, what we're going to be talking about this episode is really based on the questions that we get so frequently about how do we cope within the system and how can we navigate it? How can we look after ourselves? How can we look after the women to our best ability and how we can be woman-centered in an institution? Yeah. And this is, this is something I get asked all the time and students struggle with. And I guess we need to do a hashtag disclaimer in that we're not, we are not the experts in this by far. Again, hashtag disclaimer. These are just opinions, not medical advice. It's just hope that having this conversation will kind of maybe give you some pointers. Absolutely. I think that's a really important thing is that we want to make clear that, you know, we we also have tried to navigate the system in our own way and we're not the experts. We're not the researchers in this, but um, we are asked for this information or, or how how we have navigated it. So it's from our personal point of view and things we've learned along the way that, like with anything, I think will help some people and, and won't help otherwise. The rest of it is just listen to us and uh, hopefully you laugh along with us because that is um, going to make us all feel better. Reet, where are we starting? Well, we'll start with the researchy bit. Go ahead, caller. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so... There has been research done looking at the experience of midwives working in different settings and, you know, burnout and the cognitive dissonance between, you know, the ideology of midwifery, which is woman-centred, and the institutions, which tend to be medical-centred. So there, there is research out there supporting the experiences that everybody's saying they're having. Mm-hmm. Um, and in my in my PhD, one of my findings that wasn't one of the, the major findings was I kind of combined what I found with all of the literature that I'd looked at around this topic, and I came up with a um, what I call um, I can't remember what I called it now. It's about how midwives navigate the system, because what I was seeing from the midwives that I had interviewed fitted kind of with what I was seeing in other research. So I came up with like a spectrum. 
So mm. you can maybe place yourself on this spectrum and, and you not necessarily fixed at one point. It depends on the shift and how you feel and who else is on shift with you and what's going on. Um, but let's, so if we start kind of with the, with the most conformity one, which is like absolute conformity. So this is the midwife who just absolutely conforms ideology, philosophy, practice with the institution. There wasn't any in my research. So as if you were like, you're following the textbook. Yeah, but you believe it as well. Uh So you've actually started to believe it. So you've got no problem with the the practice because you actually really believe that the practice that you're doing is correct. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that the you know, the interventions that you're expected to do are fine. Then the next kind of, I don't know, I kind of look at it horizontal, like an arrow is how I do it on a slide, but it doesn't really matter. So then you move into the kind of the next, the next, uh, well, what do we call it? Category. Not really a category, but which is what, well, I call this superficial conformity. And this is where a lot of particularly midwifery students sit. And mm-hmm. midwives working in institutions where they're not really aligned with what's going mm-hmm. on. And this is where you following the rules, doing the practices, but you know that they're, they're probably not the right thing to be doing and it's not aligned with who you want to be and how you want to practice. So that's kind of superficial conformity. So those are the, would be, you know, the midwives who are following the rules because look, it's, it's just easier to, and it mm-hmm. protects them from the system to do that. Absolutely. Um, so I think a lot of, you know, a lot of midwifery students in particular, that's where they're at because it's kind of safe to be there and to step outside of that is not. Can I ask how many, um, how many midwives, like qualified midwives did you find in your research that were in that sort of this middle area of superficial conformity? Well, so this isn't like numbers and data research. This is qualitative research. So what I did was I had 10, only 10 midwives in my research that I interviewed, but I looked at the findings of other research and what they were finding and then could see these themes coming through my research and the other research. Yeah. So they would have called them something different in the other research. So when you're working with qualitative research, it's not about huge numbers because you're not trying to prove anything, you know, with statistics, you're looking at themes that are coming up. So that was superficial conformity. And then the next one was covert autonomy. Mm, nice phrase. So this is where, okay. and there's a lot of midwives doing this, yep. where they're, they're actually practicing, they're subverting the system. So these are the midwives who will, you know, if they're doing a vaginal examination, add on or take away a few centimeters to give the woman some more time. Mm-hmm. They'll not like an example of me doing this is you know, I never used to admit that a woman was in established labor in a uh-huh. hospital setting mm-hmm. where I knew they had real strict parameters. I would say, oh, she's in early labor. So, you know, we're not doing it. And then she'd have the baby. So these poor women would have, you know, on paper, really short labors, but would have had actually <laughs> not short labors. So that's that. <laughs> but did they have the labor that they wanted? Well, yeah. But then when they got their notes, they probably went, I wasn't in labor for an hour um because that's the way we counted isn't it we do these stupid you know first stage second stage but I did that to protect them so I think a, a lot of midwives are kind of doing these things that protect the woman from the system by you know being covertly autonomous by manipulating things yeah so there's a lot of midwives in that in that area mm, I reckon I can imagine. and when I talk about this at conferences I get a lot of like knowing giggles and mm, 
Aha. Uh-huh. I wonder if we'll get many comments from the podcast. Mm. If people can tell us where they are in this. So autonomy is where you are practicing absolutely completely aligned with your belief. So this would be, for example, a midwife not even offering a vaginal examination in a hospital where it was the you know, the policy or the guideline, mm-hmm. you know, not even just not engaging with her at all. So there was only one midwife in my study that did that. And you can guess what happened to her. You know, she's not a midwife anymore because, yeah. you know, that's really opened you up mm. to bullying and you're not going to, you're not going to survive long in the system being all fully autonomous because it'll, you'll just, it'll be a battleground. So yeah. that's kind of the continuum. And like, you know, you might be on different on different days. I think I mostly was in the kind of um, covert autonomy, sometimes went into autonomy if I mm. was ready for a fight that day and I could be bothered. But a lot of the time it was in that covert autonomy, you know, let's just let's not have this fight. Um, let's just yeah. say she's not in established labor. So midwives are finding ways of navigating it, which they shouldn't have to because all of that is emotional work. And Absolutely. it's tiring. And particularly, I think if you're in the superficial conformity area, which is where you're having to do things that you really don't feel are the right thing, I think that's probably the hardest place to be. And I would say that's probably the one that's going to lead to burnout, mostly because you feel like you're going against your principles and you feel like you've lost your power. Yep. Yep, absolutely. So that's that's the research landscape, which is probably nothing new to anyone listening. I'm sure they're all, you know... So what research often does is tell us the bleeding obvious yeah. or tell us what we already know, but in a research format. With nice words. So I guess we're going to move away a bit from the research. <laughs> so this week, we've actually got some show notes <laughs> to keep us on track so we don't waffle too much. What are you saying? We've always got show notes. Headings and things that we're going to try and talk about. <laughs> So let's see how we go with these little headings about things that we want to want to talk about with what's going on. And we know what's going on. It's not new to anybody. So let's look at some ways of managing and you know being with what is. And then we'll also talk about revolution, but we have to deal with what is right now first. And the first thing that I've got in the show notes is sphere of influence. Sphere, not fear. <laughs> I said sphere. You said fear of influence. Yes, sphere. No, you said I fear, said like sphere. frightened. No, you said fear of influence. I did not. Sorry, you you right, you misheard words. No, I'm going to play it back. I've got the recording, so we'll see, won't we? Anyway, we'll talk about fear of you'll influence. Fiddle, your- you'll fiddle with the recording now. <laughs> you'll you'll fiddle with it to make yourself right. Also, will editorial <laughs> rights. <laughs> Look, we need a bloody studio. We're not, I'm not exactly that qualified. Is that the word? Yeah. Not even skilled, not that skilled with editing. Right. Sphere of influence. Maybe it's just your accent and you need to speak like me. So we'll start with sphere of, sphere of influence, like a round thing, not a fear. The ball of influence. Right. So the step one is to identify your sphere of influence, right? And it changes because it might change, you know, with your job or with your position, or if you graduate, you've got a different sphere of influence. Um, so Katie, what, what's your sphere of influence? Just my brain's not suddenly functioning. <laughs> um. <laughs> uh, I've got a big mouth and I can talk. 
Um, I think no, that's your gift. We'll get to that. What's, what's your sphere of influence? Who can you influence in the position you're in? I actually can influence as a midwife and lactation consultant with my, I suppose, with my specialties or the areas that I feel I have the most knowledge about is where I feel I have my sphere of influence. So my specialties are working with women with drug and alcohol problems, with young women and with postnatal and particularly breastfeeding lactation problems. So that means I have a sphere of influence over the midwives that I'm working with or alongside. I have a sphere of influence within the the higher midwives as well, because I might be managing complex cases with women who had drug and alcohol problems, for example, or severe mental health problems. So then I would be able to discuss and create plans of care with within a team. And I would also be able to utilize my skills to instill passion and more knowledge and confidence with students, but also with doctors. And that's often with the the younger doctors, but also the more um, senior doctors. So for example, if there's lactation issues and I've been called in as a lactation consultant to see a mum whose baby's perhaps lost more than 10% of its birth weight, which is a really common situation. I feel that because I have a certain level of knowledge and understanding, I'm able to hold that conversation with a pediatrician, with a neonatologist, with a speech therapist, if I'm in the neonatal ward, for example. So I found that as I have increased my knowledge base, my sphere of influence has grown or it will change and progress. Mm. Yeah. And my, I guess my sphere of influence is very different to how it was when I was a private practice midwife, for example, where my sphere of influence was very much amongst the families I cared for, the midwives I worked with and the midwives that I engaged with in the system, I guess. Um, and then, you know, now I'm working in education, research. So my sphere of influence has changed quite a bit you know I haven't got my sphere of influence doesn't include direct one-on-one care with a woman so I'm not influencing an individual woman's experience of her birth in terms of face-to-face with her that's not my sphere of influence anymore Mm. which actually brings me on to the idea about midwifery practice Mm -hmm. Um, there's a lot of judgment around what is and what isn't midwifery practice and which drives me nuts you know I often Mm. get asked so do you still practice midwifery and I my response is I've practice it every day um are you asking me if i attend births we'll be right back i just wanted to pop into your luggles and tell you about my brand spanking new podcast the feeding couch this podcast ain't just designed with pregnant women or new parents in mind but also for all of us working in the space of birth work This is the podcast where I hand the mic over to a different mum, dad, parent, or even grandparent to take us on their feeding journey. Every story matters. It's often through hearing others' experiences where we find our own inner knowledge, strength, and courage. Listen in to hear the stories told of triumph, challenge, heartwarming, tear-jerking, fist-pumping, and how we each deal with our venture into this new world emotionally, socially, and physically. Whether you're a student, a newbie midwife, doula, lactation exam prepper, or just hungry for more knowledge, these stories will also give you a backstage pass to the Global Lactation Clinic. 
whether you're pregnant and seeking information or supporting those on their journey. I can't wait to see you on the couch with me soon. Oh, and a little favour, your reviews on Apple Podcasts mean the world. They're like magic beans that help spread the podcast out for those who need to hear it. Let's make this something amazing together. I get the same question I have for years when I started to work in inverted commas, just as a lactation consultant at that period, people would say to me, are you still a qualified midwife? And I was flabbergasted that I'd be asked that. And I would be like, yeah, like this is part of midwifery. And then when I was in education, the same as well. But obviously I've gone backwards and forwards and I've had other parts in mid again. Um, but yes, it's incredible that we can think that if you're in education or you're in the lactation world or you're more specific and not in the birthing, the center, the the fear of influence or the sphere of um, the birthing world, that you're not a real midwife, which uh, irks me as well because well, I... But it just, it reflects the idea that midwifery, that midwife, midwifery is about skills. It's about clinical skills. And it's not. Midwifery yes. is about being with woman, literally. And you can be with woman in all kinds of so even if you're kind of looking at it philosophically, then with being a midwife is not even about registration. It's about being with woman. If we're looking at it from a registration perspective, each year when you click to renew your registration, it asks you, um, mm. are you practicing in midwifery or have you had current mm. practice in midwifery? And the list of that includes education, mm-hmm. research, clinical practice, yeah. governance. There's a whole list of things that Which are considered to be midwifery practice. And there's, I also, I also get also, how do you maintain your midwifery skills? It's like, well, you know, I could, if I went in the hospital <laughs> next week, I would be totally cack handed. You wouldn't want me running through a drip. Um, I probably not know how to use the equipment because it would have changed, <laughs> but I could learn that. That's skills. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Why do I need to maintain those skills for education or for, you know, working in a sphere of influence where I don't need the skills? There's no point. So I think we need to kind of get away from this idea that midwives are, it's all about the skills. And in particular, you know, there's hierarchies, you know, the, the top of the pecking order, the apex midwife is the midwife who works on birth suite in high risk birth, mm-hmm. top of the apex, yep. you know, all the way down to the, you know, the community midwife or the midwife who works in antenatal clinic and doesn't do the real midwifery in the booth. Don't I feel really sad now because that's been most of my life as a midwife has been in the in the not real space but I feel like I've had. um, But it is real. It is real if you look at it from. The the influence and the difference I've made to people's lives absolutely is real. So that sphere of influence is to work out what your sphere of influence is. And it may be really, if you're a student midwife, it's going to be really small. Your sphere of influence will be your fellow students, the midwives that you work with, the women that you care for. Um, and, you know, you, you'll have a different sphere depending on where you are and what you're doing. The, the other thing to say about sphere of influence before moving on is that, you know, it's really helpful to work out what is your sphere of influence and actually release the things that aren't within your sphere of influence, release your attachment to that and focus on on the bits you can influence. So 
you know, there's no point in, you mm. know, I often get told, oh, you, you're always you preaching to the converted. You need to go and talk to obstetricians. Well, they're not going to listen to me. Like if, why? Um, it's not, I'm not, I'm not going to, you know, it's like with student, I was saying to the making a midwife podcast um, women that, you know, it's not your job as a student midwife to fix the system. You're not there to yeah. influence change within the system. You're there to actually learn how to be a midwife to get your ticket so that you can then maybe go on to do that. So focusing on how nice. terrible it all is and what, how can you change it? You can't change it. You need to get, you know, get through it so that you can get out the other end. And then you might, your severe influence might open up and you can change it. But really, you know, I think we take on too much responsibility. So it's working out what, where is your sphere of influence and focusing it down instead of trying to do everything and be everything and influence everyone. Mm. Mm. Good points. Should we move on to your gifts? Did I say that correctly? <laughs> gifts? <laughs> gifts. What gifts have you got for me? It is. We are talking about your gifts and um, identifying them and, you know, understanding that those are a contribution in itself. Yeah. So you've got your sphere of influence. So then you go, okay, what can I offer in this sphere of influence? And it might just be, I can, I'm really nurturing and lovely and I can offer that to women. Or it might be, I'm pretty good at, um, I don't know, arguing the point or putting <laughs> communicating something really effectively yeah <laughs> no but that's I mean I'm laughing but it's just because I know how you you know we come across as being a bit ranty pants and that's but it is it's about communicating effectively which is which is being strong in yourself and strong in your knowledge of and that's the important thing for me is having if you know that you're a good communicator utilize it. And again, if you're a student midwife, it is difficult to navigate that at that point in time. But this is something that you can grow. The more knowledge we have, the more strength we have, also the more backup we have. Um, And then I think it gives you the confidence to start speaking and communicating. And it's not about necessarily creating, you know, this, this standoff, but it's about saying, do you know what? let's have a conversation about the fact that we do X procedure because I've read this and this and this research and I've got this gift enabled to bring people together to collaborate. And that's one of my powers, so to speak. But if it isn't, then you're right. You concentrate, find the thing that, you know, really you feel confident and strong in because that's your gift and that's what you are good at within midwifery. Yeah, so your gifts are about like what you can contribute. Like, how can you, how how can you contribute to midwifery, even if that's just one on one with that woman, or whether that's, you know, on a bigger scale, can you write policy? God, I wish I was somebody who could write policy and be organised like that. You know, can you communicate really effectively with people, you know, who live in offices and can do really complicated things? Because I can't do that. Um, you know, there's there's some really gifted people who can do some amazing things that they probably wouldn't think of as gifts, but they actually are. So it's like, what, what am I good at doing and how can I communicate? Like I'm good at writing. I'm not very good at spoken communication as you're all finding out. I'm good at writing. So <laughs> you're I very good at spoken. So that's my you, contribution. <laughs> you say nice words out loud, but when you write them down, they're even better. That's for sure. <laughs> they're a yeah. bit more articulate written down. Aren't we all? Well, I don't know, actually, some of my writing. Whew. 
All right. So gifts, we've ticked off the gifts and we're not talking Santa. We're talking what you were born with. You've put down here, look, find the good things you do each day to focus on. For me, I also think your gifts are about finding the good things you do each day. Don't look too far into the future. We can all do this, particularly when you are studying. I feel like sometimes it can feel like you're closed in or you're having to really toe the line and follow you know, the procedures from you're learning one thing in the university. You're also perhaps it's not aligning with what's happening in the in the unit that you're working with. And that can be quite complex at the time. But like Rachel said, it's almost like this, this golden ticket to get within the midwifery and find your area. But for me, it's take away those golden nuggets that you see on a daily basis from those midwives that you work with and think, bloody hell, that is awesome. I love that. And turn that into a gift that you've been given Turn it into a gift that you've learned. A quick side note and sorry for the intermission here. Things went a little, um, how do I say? Well, just keep listening and you'll um, figure it out. Shall we move on to relationships with women? This is going to be shittest, worst <clears throat> podcast of fucking edit ever. I'm just going to do a fucking bloopers podcast. All right. So we've done <laughs> just to the whole thing. Or just, just not even bloopers. edit. Just not even edit it. They can have all of this shit in between of me going and you going, uh, what are we talking about? Uh, don't know how to talk about. How can we just, we've waffled about this so many times. Yet when we put fucking notes, we cannot stick to them. It's worse. I never write notes again. No, I, just, I can stick to them. <laughs> <laughs> I no, I can stick to them because the right. You just have to keep it short. Like we like, I think we're doing too much waffling around things. Like, do you know what I mean? I think we're trying to talk too much yeah. on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> talk less. Right. Next, relationships with women. So we've looked at where is our sphere of influence, what what are our gifts and our contributions, and then looking at our relationships with women, because I actually think that part of what midwives find hard is about our unrealistic ideas about midwifery and about the mother midwife relationship, because Mm. what we're expected to have now is new. It's never been around. If you look in, in history, the midwife had a very defined role, which was actually not, you know, she wasn't the best friend of the woman. The gossips were the were the best mates of the woman and the midwives had a clear role. She came in, she kind of oversaw what was going on in terms of promoting and supporting physiology. She could manage shit if it happened and that was her job. And she didn't necessarily have a strong emotional relationship with the woman. And now we're particularly in Australia, we're really pushing to have, you know, the gold standard because it is in terms of outcomes, you get better outcomes for women if it's a relationship-based model of care, Mm. like continuity of the midwife with the woman all the way through. But we're not then really exploring what does that mean? And because it's new to Australia, you know, it's different to how it was in the UK. For me, it was really different. Yeah, you know, in the, in the UK, I was the midwife. I, I wasn't the friend of the woman. Um, yeah, I wouldn't necessarily see her afterwards. I didn't get caught up in the same emotional way, yeah. you know, that you do when you, you know, really care about a woman or have a relationship. Whereas 
here, I found that really um, different when I started private practice. In that, Everyone wants to be your mate. And I've got some lovely friends who I was midwives with. Me too. Right. Which I and never I, thought I would in England. I never did that. I never crossed the boundaries in terms of like there was a set boundary and it was never, ever crossed until I got to Australia. And then I crossed it. And I remember the first time I crossed it and I was a bit like, oh, is this allowed? Oh, it feels really weird. Oh, I'm not sure about it. But I mean, it's ended up in the most beautiful relationships. And I think when we do that as midwives, we can we open ourselves up. We're quite vulnerable. Mm. Um, potentially yeah and um, you know it's not our it's not our job you might happen to have be looking after your friend or you might develop a relationship with the woman that goes beyond a midwifery relationship but that's not your job um and if if you create if you get too goal. close to women then no then it can actually be detrimental to you in the system and out of the system you know mm. even that also applies to you know I see midwives student midwives in particular get really upset about maybe one of their follow-through women or what, about what happened to the woman and the outcome for that woman because they're mm. so enmeshed in it and you you're going to follow so many women through you're going to care for so many you can't get emotionally enmeshed in the outcomes of all of these women all mm-hmm. you can do is really do your job Mm. to be with them and to promote and support their decision-making. You can't rescue them. You're not there to to rescue women, which I think a lot of midwives try and do is rescue women from their own decisions. That's not your job. Mm. Um, and I, I, talk, I talked about this at a conference. I'm not sure it was a very good analogy. It's probably a really bad one. But I, can, <laughs> I said it's like, you know, you can watch a woman walking towards a cliff. And as the midwife, you know, it's your job to – to point the cliff out and say, you know, there's a cliff there. And if you walk off the cliff, then these are the potential things that might happen to you. Mm. It's not your job to stop her from walking off the cliff. It's your job to then go to the bottom of the cliff and help put her back together afterwards. That's actually your job. You know, you're not responsible for her walking off the cliff if you pointed it out and you've. That's given me. It's probably no good analogy, is it? No, it is a great, it's a great analogy. I just wanted to let it settle in. It's, that's a really good analogy. Um, and yeah, no, it's absolutely a brilliant analogy. And I think the other thing is for me, if I take that analogy further is it's not only that we can take on board way too much with what's going on with the woman, but we end off, we end up walking off the cliff with her every time. And we're constantly Mm. you know, jumping off the cliff with every single woman that comes through who doesn't have the birth that they wanted or doesn't have the breastfeeding experience that they wanted. And so how much can we take? We have to have some barriers. And this is a big thing in the lactation world as well, is women who you've spent a lot of time with and then they choose to stop breastfeeding. And, you know, I'm on lactation forums and there was one recently, just yesterday actually, and um, a new lactation consultant was saying, I need some help to debrief. Like, how do I cope? I spent six weeks with this mother and now she's chosen to stop breastfeeding. And it's exactly that. We cannot keep leaping off the cliff with them and holding their hand. It's not Thelma and Louise. It's... Exactly. I think that your analogy is brilliant, Rachel. 
And it's about releasing the attachment to that woman's journey because it's her journey, not yours. And that kind of goes back to that whole rites of passage, you know, that we were mm. talking to Jane about. This is the woman's mm. rite of passage. It will unfold for her in a particular way that she then has to make meaning out of. And it's not your job to, you know, make sure that she goes on a correct path according to how you would like things to be. Mm-hmm. That's really, you know, we're, we're saying that, but it's actually really difficult to navigate. Yes. And I can remember a friend, a friend who I was a midwife, I actually started out being a midwife and then ended up being her friend, you know, who I'm talking about. And she <laughs> said something funny to me. Um, she said, I think it was a third baby. And I was doing an antenatal visit and she was you know, trying to, was talking to me like a friend, etc. And I was obviously not responding how I normally would. And she <laughs> said, uh, do you know, you're really different when you're my midwife. Mm. what do you mean she went well you're like different when you're my midwife and I said well because I'm your midwife and I'm not your friend and she went "Mm, I think I prefer you when you're a friend (laughs) (laughs) but she could pick up that there was that you know there has to be but there had to be that distancing you know I wasn't hanging out with her I wasn't going for barbecues with her I wasn't like you know it was I am your midwife now and I need to step into that role which is actually quite different to being your friend it's the same with lactation and when I've got friends who ask me and I can easily get emotionally attached, but I actually have to put my thinking cap on and go, okay, this is, I'm in lactation mode here or I'm in midwife mode here with a friend. Um, and it's a difficult one to navigate. I, I don't think either of us are saying this is easy, whether they're your friend or not. There is an emotional attachment mm. to being a midwife or being someone who works within this sphere of um womanhood and and rites of passage this transition into into motherhood um it does it's sort of in our dna to to connect but we have to be aware that it can be detrimental and to take a step back i think and just have a look at how enmeshed we are and how we deal with that so there you have it end of part one so hopefully leaving you wanting more but uh without a cliffhanger this time thank you for listening and thank you for your incredible support the comments the five star ratings on apple itunes is just incredible and we are super excited please keep sharing and liking us and just telling everybody you know about the midwife's cauldron because we want to hit 25,000 downloads with this next podcast because that would be freaking awesome as always of course i'm going to leave you with a blooper i'm actually quite surprised that there could possibly be any more but here you go and we will see you in a week ta-ta for now um right hang on so i think it's set up so now i go to where's the sound it's clicked onto this USB mic. Ah, now it's off. Thank God I can't hear you. Ah, <laughs> 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 oh, if only everyone else could see what I could see. Go on, Rachel, keep yelling in silence. I can't lip read. <laughs> I love the arm movements. The rage. It's brilliant. Unplug it and plug it in again. Is, can you hear me now? Yes. Oh my God, it's the switch on the bloody thing. <laughs> Often a switch that turns things on.
Wondering which of my courses is for you? Breastfeeding and lactation, the fundamentals has been designed for everyone working in the birthing field or those on their journey to becoming breastfeeding specialists or IBCLCs. This course gives you seven hours of CPD and is packed with reflective learning, case studies and some pretty tough at times quizzes to make sure this stuff sticks. It also means you can meet me monthly in my live Q&A. This is my course that I hope will fill in the gaps that traditional breastfeeding education has left out. I want you completing this, feeling confident to support any breastfeeding or lactation challenge of those in your care. But wait, I have another course called The Feeding Couch. Who's this for? Currently, around 80 to 96% of women decide to breastfeed during their pregnancy, but by just eight weeks after birth, a third to almost 50% of those women have stopped breastfeeding. And of those women who stopped, 80% say they stopped breastfeeding before they wanted to. Learning about breastfeeding during pregnancy has been shown to improve breastfeeding self-confidence and improve the rate of exclusive breastfeeding in the short and the long term. I believe every mum should be able to choose how she wants to feed her baby and for how long. Knowledge is power. That's why I created The Feeding Couch, designed to be watched during pregnancy or for new mums and parents who may be struggling right now with breastfeeding. The content is in step-by-step, binge-worthy whilst pregnant or for those most tired of days postpartum, totally easy to find exactly what you need and dip in and out when you need a breastfeeding answer quickly. And for you, beautiful podcast listener, there is a 10% discount off both courses when you use the code POD10, that's P-O-D-10, at checkout. To find out more, hop on over to my website, katiejames.site, and have a look at the incredible content waiting for your lucky peepers. Mm-hmm.